You are listening to EE Times On Air, and this is EE Times Current. I'm Eric Singer. Today's podcast is sponsored by Synopsys, powering the new era of smart everything from silicon to software. Today's feature interview is with Gordon Cooper, product manager for AI and neural network processor IP at Synopsys. We cover the differences between generative AI and object detection AI, as well as comparing generative AI to embedded AI. We'll discuss ChatGPT, a transformer AI model, and explain its ability to identify patterns within large data sets. We'll also discuss the challenges of implementing transformers in embedded spaces, along with the different areas where AI is being implemented in volume applications. First, here are some headlines we're covering in EE Times. TSMC, among other companies like Samsung and Intel, are racing to be first in 3-nanometer production for customers like Apple and NVIDIA in high-performance computing and smartphones. Domain-specific models that cite their sources can help conversational AI become trustworthy enough for enterprise use, according to AI platform developer Samba Nova. TDK Ventures' Novalith solution captures and utilizes CO2 from the atmosphere to isolate and extract lithium of a higher quality from resource deposits. Find all of these stories and more on eetimes.com. And if you're on this episode's webpage, there are direct links to those articles. Subscribe to EE Times On Air and EE Times Current Podcast by clicking the subscribe button at the top of today's episode page or searching EE Times On Air on all the major podcast platforms. What is AI really doing? How do neural networks, especially transformers like ChatGPT, work? AI has broken into the mainstream, led by generative AIs like ChatGPT, DALI, and Stable Diffusion that are producing amazing results. Our guest today, Gordon Cooper, said it reminds him of an old cartoon with two engineers standing around a whiteboard. One of them's trying to solve some crazy complicated equation. And right in the middle of the equation, he's written, Then a miracle occurs. And that's what it feels like when ChatGPT spits out a two-page paper on you name the topic. But let's talk about how it's really doing what it's doing. While it is impressive, it's more of a magic trick related to identifying patterns in large data sets than it is a miracle. It's based on a fairly new class of neural network algorithms called transformers. And this helps us understand the difference between narrow AI, a machine doing a narrow task really well, say finding a dog in an image, versus sentient AI that understands what a dog is. Machines can perform better than a human for narrow tasks, but that doesn't mean they can yet make complex decisions or even simple decisions that we humans make automatically. I want to welcome our guest, Gordon Cooper, now. He's the product manager for AI and neural network processor IP at Synopsys. Gordon, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's great to be here, Eric. So let's start with a fairly basic yet insanely complicated question. (laughs) What is generative AI? Yeah, certainly getting all the buzz these days. And let me start maybe by explaining where AI has been for the last 10 years and then work up to what has been all the buzz and all the hype for the last four months, which is this generative AI. If we look at traditional AI, and it's been since early 2010, so 2012, this AlexNet kind of came on the scene. That was really, it has been very focused on sensor data. So camera, radar, audio, and, and making sense of that data 
by trying to understand and detect patterns in the data. So it's taken over from what signal processing was doing and really elevated it move forward. So object detection, pedestrian detection, facial detection, keyword detection. So all of these things where you're trying to make sense of the real world through, through sensor data. So what generative AI has done is taken a sort of concept of training in big data sets and turn it around a little bit to generate content. So rather than making sense of the outside world, they're generating content based on these large data sets. So a generative AI is generating text or code or audio or images, but underlying is still based on the same concepts of large data sets, training neural networks, et cetera. And what they both have in common now is this new class of, of neural network called transformers. So ChatGPT, probably the most famous of that class of AIs, Mm -hmm. it's all the buzz in every industry, is what ChatGPT does a miracle or is it a magic trick? Yeah, (laughs) it certainly feels like a miracle. If you even just a few months ago thought, hey, I can get somebody to write a two-page paper for me (laughs) on any topic I can pick, it feels pretty miraculous. And the people that I talk to in the outside of the AI world are fascinated by it. But if you really look at what it's doing, it really is more of a magic trick because it's not understanding what it's saying. It's really doing this trick of looking at big data and identifying patterns of words. It doesn't necessarily know what those words mean, but it identifies them and can spit them out again. So my opinion is definitely a magic trick, but an amazing magic trick that is lighting the world on fire a little bit right now because it's, it's a pretty awesome. It's a it's if it is a trick, it's a really incredibly <laughs> convincing <laughs> trick. It's hard to believe, even knowing how it's working behind the scenes, that it's not in some way sentient. You know, when you've got it writing poetry or creating beautiful images, you provided to me as as someone with a, an intense interest in the subject, but not much technical background in it, the best explanation for what the magic trick is. I would love it if you could share some of that with our audience. Just pull back the curtain a little bit yeah. as the, the magician here yeah. and tell us what's happening. And let me qualify my experience in saying I have been involved with signal processing semiconductors for 30 plus years, and in the last seven or eight, focused on AI and the embedded space. So I'm I'm not a chat GPT expert. I'm not focused on those large language models, but I do know quite a bit about convolutional neural networks and what's going on with transformers and that sort of that evolution that we here in Synopsys have been very focused on. Understood. So magic trick essentially is what AI is really good at is analyzing and absorbing an amazingly large amount of data. And it does this through this idea of training. And then it takes that knowledge that it's gained, really in the form of parameters or coefficients or weights, and applies that to identify patterns in unidentified content. And that's, we call that the inference side. So neural networks are trained, they're not programmed, which is amazing in itself because when you train something, it automatically is a little bit mysterious. There's no line of code. You get the point to say, oh, here's what it's doing here. <laughs> you train it on this massive data set and you're hoping the results, you're trying to tweak the results to try to get the outputs that you're hoping for. So these large data sets are used, and it's true whether it's be self-driving. There's petabytes of data where these car companies um, collect this information and they use that to train their cars as they try to get closer and closer to self-driving cars. The same thing happens with ChatGPT. Now in ChatGPT's case, 
It's a massive database, like 15 million websites that they're training this on. Mm-hmm. And what they're really doing is they're looking for word matching or combinations of words. And that's where it's more the magic trick than the miracle, if you know what's going on underneath the hood. And how granular is it? How many letters or words or sentences is it thinking ahead? Yeah, and that's the amazing thing, because it feels like it really must know whatever this topic is, but it really is only a handful of words that it's understanding. So ChatGB is based on these large language models. Um, which basically identify patterns and relationships between words in these large data sets. So, yes, it has this huge data set, but really what it's looking for is some prediction of the words that might follow. And this prediction is only a few words in a row, perhaps. So it really, if you give it a prompt, it looks at your prompt and says, okay, what's the logical thing that would follow? And it's predicting some combination of words that follow this based on all the data that's turned into these massive amounts of parameters. So the parameters are essentially, oh, this is the most likely combination of words based on your prompt. So it does not know what the words mean, but it's this great little magic trick of spitting out these words that make you think amazing things. So it's really just predicting the probability of what the following word should be in this chain? That's really the magic trick, yeah. So how does that explain getting different results when if you and I are each in front of our web browser typing in a prompt, we're going to get different results, right? Even asking the identical yes. question? Yes, that is true. Now, again, I'm not a chat GPT expert, but I think there are, there are opportunities in the algorithm that it can pick different probabilities. Hmm. It's never 100%. So it's, it means that the path it takes will be slightly different every time. Hmm. You give the same prompt every time and you can get a basket to write a poem and the poems always be a little bit different based on the same prompts. And because of these probabilities, it's not so much that they change, but maybe they pick a different path through uh, through the, the probability field. If you so will. the word that's, say, 90% likely to follow a certain word in a chain isn't always going to be the one that it chooses. There's some variability there. I believe so, yeah. Now maybe there's one that's 85%. Let's, yeah. okay, let's pick that this time. Now, it's impressive, but also there are challenges, right? There are people, they call them hallucinations. Mm-hmm. People say, hey, it spit out something that sounded really credible, but it was wrong. Yeah. And they've termed that a hallucination. So that's one of the set of challenges. That's what we see with self-driving cars, right? We got 90% of the way there. And that last 10%, people are like, ooh, that's the hard part. <laughs> so you can, if you wanted to get rid of all those hallucinations and really be able to trust your life from chat GPT's answers, there's a long way to go. Yeah, and it's one thing to, to have a hallucination in a chat bot. It's quite a different <laughs> to have right. something exactly. like yeah. that in a self-driving car with exactly. real-world consequences. Yeah. Yeah. So ChatGPT, based on GPT-3, now GPT-4, which is a, you referred to as a transformer. Can you right. give us a high-level overview of what this class of AI is? Yeah, and let me do that by kind of starting again from what came before, because I think that kind of informs the evolution of where mm. things should go. If I break down those real-world signals into sort of audio, speech, things that are time sensitive, because as I talk, that's a long period of time for a semiconductor. And the other side, we'll talk about images, which is a still frame and then so many frames per second. So you have a bit of time. So the two neural networks that have stuck, if you will, in the last 10 years have really moved things forward is recurrent neural networks for audio and for sequential data and convolutional neural networks for images. The recurrent neural network is looking for patterns of words. And there's a feedback loop. And a 
convolutional neural network is looking for patterns within an image. And RNNs particularly have some limitations because of this bandwidth issue. Uh, in other words, because you have this loop back, there's only so much you'd have to store and recall every previous word and then every time you need to process. So there's a, a bandwidth limitation. Mm. So research was done and uh, this concept, I think it was Google Brain's 2017 paper on transformers, they said, let's look at something that can replace these RNNs or LSTMs, which are were a variant of RNNs, long short-term memory. So with the limitations, they came up with this idea of transformers. And transformers is a neural network more architecturally close to a convolutional neural network in the sense that there's more parallelism built into it. But it has this really interesting concept of an attention network. And the attention network essentially says, rather than just doing what an RNN is, comparing something now with something from the past, it really can look at different portions that might be more interesting. It can reach farther back, understand more complex patterns. Mm. And it completely took over RNNs and uh, LSTMs, and we see that as the de facto standard. That really is what enabled ChatGPT, which is based on this transformer called GPT-3, which evolved from GPT-2, and now they've got GPT-4 coming out. So essentially, this transformer, because it can understand these complex patterns, rather than this brute force way of looking at every bit or every word, it is significantly better at, at recognizing combinations of words and the uh, relationships between them. We've seen transformers deployed in applications that are commercial products that are priced mm -hmm. really low for what it seems like they can accomplish. Can you talk a little bit about what the challenges are in implementing a, a transformer in, into a product? Yeah, I think in the cloud space, there are some challenges, and then they're in the embedded space, which is what I'm very focused on. Mm -hmm. and let me add one more thing where transformers took over on the audio and speech and telephony language, uh, a couple years after they were released, somebody said, let's just try it on vision. And it had amazing results. So convolutional neural networks had been the de facto standard. Transformers came along and all of a sudden had better accuracy, but at a computational penalty, if you will. So the challenge with transformers is you get better accuracy, but you have to throw more parameters, more computations at it. And that's the challenge. If we look at ChatGPT, ChatGPT was based on this algorithm called GPT-3. GPT-2 had 1.5 billion parameters. Now, a parameter is essentially what you train for coefficients for the weights in your network. GPT-3, which is what chat GPT is based on, has 175 billion parameters. GPT-4, wow. which is not out yet, but they haven't, even, they haven't even admitted how many it has. So this idea of implementing this with these huge parameters, so every time you have to put a prompt, in theory, you're doing all these multiplies of all these parameters to get your result. So this, you imagine the training piece was huge. I think I read somewhere that it costs $100 million to train GPT-4, which is obviously that puts it in a handful of companies that can yeah. go handle that. So part of that problem is these giant data sets, these giant combination of parameters. Now in the embedded space, we see something similar where you have to, you're not going to have ChatGPT in, in the embedded space, but you may have a derivative for natural language processing, or we see that in the embedded space as well. So we see a lot of transformers in the embedded space, not taking over from CNNs, but combining with them. So the challenge is, how do you get the same accuracy? How do you get the same performance with less computations? Mm -hmm. Because all those computations mean data storage, power consumption, mm -hmm. et cetera banks of GPUs in the cloud or in the embedded space, now you, you have the accuracy, but the power consumption and the, the cost of the area all add up. So that's, I think, the challenge. 
in the in the short term is how do they now that they've got this sort of amazing thing that seems pretty accurate how do you get a little bit better accuracy but more importantly how do you get the same accuracy with less computations so really coming down to a hardware challenge yeah or many hardware challenges yeah yeah and i think i think what we saw with convolutional neural networks over the and they're they're still evolving but i think a lot of the research in the first 10 years the first few years was really focused on getting accuracy and they would throw larger and larger number of layers the models got bigger the parameters got bigger and then they said ah okay now how do we fit this in a commercially viable car or a camera or surveillance camera we have to get we have to get it more efficient and so it started to come down in terms of algorithm efficiency so it is hardware but you can't just continue to throw more max at it because eventually mm-hmm. you're just going to run out of space. The trick then is how do you get more efficient algorithms? How do you move the data better? Uh, how do you compress the data to minimize the reach from external memory? All of these things are challenges. So talking about building more, to use an automotive analogy, a more efficient engine, not just the biggest big block V8 you can possibly exactly. fit under a hood. Exactly, yeah. That makes sense. So I want to ask you next about what you see coming down the pike, which feels like a ridiculous question to ask, given (laughs) that it already feels like we're living in the future. We're doing things here in the audio studio that were unthinkable four months ago, and now it's just part of the day-to-day for audio engineers. So (laughs) as ridiculous as it seems, I do want to ask you about what you see coming up next in this field. Yeah, it, it is fascinating. And I have I wear two hats, right? I wear I'm in this embedded AI space, and so I can speak about what I see in that space. And then, like everybody else, I see in this as a consumer of this, I have an mm-hmm. opinion. But I, let me separate those two opinions. I have no idea uh, any more than you do necessarily what's next in terms of ChatGPT, et cetera. I know there's a GPT four. Mm-hmm. I know they put some effort into maybe combining images with it, and this concept of alignment where you train the neural network and then you align it by, by something we call reinforcement learning, where essentially you, you test the results with humans involved <laughs> and it gets us getting better results. And so this idea of reinforcement learning, aligning with human expectations is one of the things that made ChatGPT3 as significant as it was. So it's this mm-hmm. combination of training and alignment, if you will. And I think that'll continue. But again, I think they're going to have to find more efficient ways to do it because uh, and whether that means transformers will evolve, which I think will happen. I think mm. we'll see transformers continue to evolve as an algorithm. We're seeing it now already in the embedded space where the first transformers came out and they had big parameters. Now the parameter sizes are coming down. Now they're coming up with new techniques. Or maybe the what's after transformers, I don't know. if, But eventually somebody will come up with something after that. But in the meantime, I do know in the embedded space, the challenge, coming back to the challenges, is if you had a convolutional neural network engine, you were in great position for 10 years, but now you need something that can do both convolutional networks and transformers. Mm -hmm. So you have to be able to support both. So what will come is more change, right? That's the guarantee. So whatever your architecture is, if it was completely software, it's not efficient enough. If it's completely (laughs) hardware, you can't change. So the the goal and the challenge is to get that sweet spot. So it's as close to hardware as possible, but with some flexibility to handle whatever's coming next. And that's what we at Synopsys are very focused on doing. How do we give you the most efficient thing, but with some level of future-proofing involved? And I think that will be the interesting challenge, both in the, in, in the cloud space and in, in the embedded space moving forward. Are there initiatives happening at Synopsys right now that you're able to talk with us about? 
we we probably like many companies are extremely focused on AI. We were one of the first to come out with an AI embedded neural network engine where other people were still evolving their DSPs. So mm. we just jumped right to the here's a dedicated neural network engine. So in the in the IP space where we help customers create their SOCs by licensing IP, we are going to continue to focus on transformers and evolving that and hardware plus software, right? The software program these things is really half the challenge. We as an EDA company are also very involved in figuring out how as you lay your processors out as you do your power analysis, how do you improve on that? And we're really focused on this idea of reinforcement learning and basically where the machine you, you can, or the program says, hey, here's a power challenge and it can iterate with some human feedback to uh, come up with the best solution possible. So we're looking at multiple fronts at, at Synopsys and really focus on AI to help our customers make the, the best products that they can. And dear listeners, if you want a farther glimpse into the future than that, you'll uh, just have to stick to reading more science fiction. I think so. That's the interesting challenge is that (laughs) if you want a three to five year plan, I can say a a year from now what things will look like. And after that, who knows? Who knows? We're we're the next great technology advancement away from an inflection point. Yeah, there's no doubt. It's a pretty amazing time to to be living through as as folks interested in technology, working in electrical engineering, or just to be a human being. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. AI will continue to be a great tool. And if people can figure out how to leverage the tool, life will continue to get better. No question. Gordon, I cannot thank you enough for coming on the show today, sharing your expertise in both what you do as well as to help help us get a better understanding of how Transformers work. Really appreciate you coming on and breaking it down for us. Thanks for having me. That brings another episode of EE Times Current to its end. Thank you for listening, and thanks to our guest, Gordon Cooper from Synopsis. EE Times Current is available through the major podcast platforms, but if you get to us at our website at eetimes.com, you'll find a transcript along with direct links to the other stories we've mentioned, along with other resources. EE Times Current is produced by EE Times. It was engineered by Taylor Marvin at Coop Studios. I'm Eric Singer. Thanks for listening.